Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back again, my good friends. Thank you for your time again today. It is said that good men rise to the occasion in times of need. It is in these times of need that when facing adversity that legends are born. Legends that in some cases seem to be larger than life. There are reported cases of people using superhuman strength or great speed and cunning to do anything from save lives to escape death themselves. If not for eyewitness testimony of those who actually saw the birth of the legend, some of them would be put down as nothing more than impossible myth. Please come on in and have yourself sit down and listen as I tell the legend that permeates the Appalachian Mountains through both story and song and to this very day. The story of John Henry, steel driving man. In the early 1870s, construction of the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway along the Greenbrier and New Rivers employed thousands of workers. Many of these men were African Americans who migrated to the West Virginia in search for jobs. Jobs in the railroad were labor-intensive and low-paying, required long hours, and were very dangerous, but it was regular work and there was a living to be made. 
Railroad workers primarily use shovels, wheelbarrows, mules, and black powder to move millions of tons of rock and dirt to prepare the railroad bed. Workers used axe, adds, and to cut and shape hundreds of trees and ties for bridge timbers. Now, for those who may not know, an adze is a shaped almost like a long side of a mattock. It was used in this case almost like a planer to shape the wood for those very uses. They didn't require a very smooth surface. The workers sweated in the hot summer sun and froze in the cold mountain winters as they worked out to connect Tidewater, Virginia with the Ohio River Valley. As the CNO Railway stretched westward along the Green River, or make that the Greenbrier River, the legend of John Henry was born at the Big Bend Mountain near Talcott, West Virginia. The legend of John Henry is just that, a legend. And through the legend, John Henry becomes a symbol. He symbolized the many African Americans whose sweat and hard work built and maintained the rails across Appalachian Mountains. He was a symbol for the black workers who gave their lives in these dangerous occupations. The legend is told through ballads and work songs has kept the story of John Henry alive and well. There are in reality two John Henrys, the actual man and the legend surrounding him. Defining the first is a matter of assembling facts. He was born a slave, worked as a laborer for the railroads after the Civil War, and actually died in his 30s, leaving behind a pretty wife and a baby. Pinning down the second, the legend wasn't, wasn't not quite as easy. It's as varied as the thousands of people, workers, scholars, and professional musicians who have studied, sung, and recorded this song over many years. The story of John Henry, told mostly through ballads and work songs, traveled from coast to coast as a, the railways drove west during the 19th century, and in time, he has become timeless, spanning a century of generations and Verses ranging from prisoners recorded at Mississippi Parchment Farm in the late 1940s to present-day folk heroes. From what we actually do know, John Henry was indeed born a slave in the 1840s or the early 1850s, most likely in Virginia. He grew to stand six feet tall, 200 pounds, which was a giant in the day. He had an immense appetite and an even greater capacity for work. He carried a beautiful baritone voice and was a favorite claw hammer banjo picker to all who ever heard him play. One among a legion of black people just freed from the war, John Henry went to work rebuilding the southern states whose territory had been ravaged by the Civil War. The period became known as Reconstruction, a reunion of the nation under one government after the Confederacy lost the war. The war conferred equal civil and political rights to all black people, sending thousands upon thousands of men to into the workforce, mostly in deplorable conditions, and for poor wages, of course. John Henry is an African-American folk hero, the subject of numerous songs, stories, plays, and novels. The legend of John Henry became or began at the Big Bend Tunnel in Summers City, West Virginia, which C.S. X railroad still uses today. He was the best steel driving man to ever grace the Appalachian Mountains, say the songs, working on the largest tunneling project in American history at the time. 
As far as anybody can determine, John Henry was hired as a steel driver for the C&O Railroad, a wealthy company that was extending its line from the Chesapeake Bay to the Ohio Valley. Steel drivers, also known as hammer men, would spend the work days driving holes in the rock by hitting a thick steel bit, also called spikes or bits. The steel driving man always had a partner, known as a shaker, or sometimes called a turner, who would crouch close to the hole, rotate or shake the, and reposition the bit between each thunderous blow delivered by the steel driving man. Now, as we discussed in the Wreck of Old 97 episode, the shaker and the steel driver had a very trusting relationship. The shaker had to completely trust the steel driver to deliver an accurate blow squarely on top of the bit. And many times during railroad construction, there were steel driving miscues that resulted in literal amputation of limbs. So, you bet there was a good deal of trust involved there. The CNO's new line was moving along quickly until... Big Bend Mountain blocked its path. The steel, or the mile and a quarter thick mountain, was just too vast to build around, so the men were told that they had to drive the drills through its belly. I can only imagine the thoughts that these men had when told that. Now, anybody that's ever been on the mountain would have the same thought. Those railroad folks have got to be out of their minds. But we'll do it. Heck, it pays the same as driving steel anywhere else. It took a thousand men three years to get through and finish it. The work was horrible, hot and treacherous. Visibility was almost non-existent and the air inside the mountain hole was constantly thick and with noxious black smoke and dust. Hundreds of men lost their lives to Big Ben before it was over. Their bodies piled into a makeshift sandy grave just steps off the side of the mountain. In February of 1870s, workers began drilling the Great Big Bend Tunnel where the Greenbrier River travels seven miles around Big Bend Mountain. Workers cut a 6,450-foot tunnel through the mountain. The workers cut through layers of red shale, which tended to disintegrate when exposed to air, which is what made the tunnel so dangerous in the first place. Rock falls were common, and death was always a possibility. Nearly a mile and a quarter long, the Big Bend Tunnel was indeed the longest one that the CNO Railway had ever made, and the longest one in America at the time. The process of building the tunnel in the 1870s was slow and difficult work. Holes were drilled into the layers of the shale using a hand drill and a hammer. Holes were then filled with powder and blasted in order to make the rock small enough to remove from the tunnel, a wheelbarrow at a time. As the story goes, John Henry was the strongest, fastest, most powerful man working on the rails. He used a 14-pound hammer to drive steel. Some historians have found that he could drive 10 to 20 feet in a 12-hour day, which is the best of any man on the rails. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. I'm Larry Bentley. Now, as the story goes, and as we just said, John Henry was indeed hired as a steel driver from, for the railroad. Later, the railroad company bought a steam drill to speed up work on the tunnel. It was said that the steam drill could drill faster than any man alive. By saying that, they didn't realize that saying something like that to an Appalachian was automatically going to be a challenge. So the challenge was on. 
man against machine. John Henry was known as the strongest, the fastest, and the most powerful man working on the railroad. He went up against the steam drill to prove that a man could drill a hole through the rock further and faster than the newfangled steam drill could. Using two 10-pound hammers that he ordered special for that race, one in each hand, he pounded the drill so fast and so hard that he drilled 14 feet into the rock. The steam drill was only able to drill nine feet. John Henry beat the steam drill and then later died of exhaustion, is what the legend says. It is a certainty that John Henry actually lived, as records can be found of John Henry living in Virginia. It's also certain that he drove still in the Great Big Bend Tunnel, as it was called in the early 1870s. The fact that he drove steel against a steam drill and beat it is very likely at the rate he drove steel. And he died from overexertion directly after the contest is probably somewhat less likely, according to the eyewitnesses who saw it happen. There's a record of John Henry dying at his home of some illness during this time, which may have indeed been due to exhaustion of the race or maybe just an underlying heart condition combined with the daily exertion of steel driving. There were so many diseases one might contract at that time in history that it wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what happened. The Great Big Bend Tunnel was completed on September 12, 1872. The tunnel and the men have been cemented into the annals of time through the ballad of John Henry. The song tells of a boy born with a hammer in his hand. It tells of a man who worked as a steel driver during the construction of the Great Big Bend Tunnel, and it tells us that his man took a hammer in each hand to face down a steam drill. John Henry promised, if I can't beat this steam drill down, I'll die with this hammer in my hand. At the Big Bend Tunnel, John Henry became one of the world's great folk heroes by actually beating a marvel of modern technology. Mrs. C.L. Lynn of Rome, Georgia, sent her copy of the Blankenship song sheet quoted by Guy B. Johnson of the University of North Carolina in the mid-1920s when he was collecting research for his John Henry book. Mr. Johnson's 1929 work was the first published book-length study of John Henry and the John Henry legend. Mr. Johnson spent four days at Talcott, West Virginia in June of 1927, interviewing still-living men who were likely to have seen the event with their own eyes. One was Mr. C.S. Neil Miller, who told him, now, some people say that John Henry died because of the contest, but he didn't. At least he didn't drop dead right there. As well as I remember, though, he took sick and died from fever soon after that. Uh, I come here when I was 17, said Mr. Miller. It was the spring of 1869. In the fall of that year, I began work at Big Bend Tunnel. I carried water and steel for the gang of steel drivers at the East End. I would take the drills to the shop and bring them back after they were sharpened. I often saw John Henry as he was on the gang that I carried water for and drills for. Focusterian Dr. Louis Chappelle of West Virginia University had also interviewed Mr. Miller about John Henry's story two years earlier, but his book, John Henry Folk Hero Study, didn't make it to press until 1933. Neil Miller had told Mr. Chappelle that he didn't die from getting too hot in the contest, and Mr. D.R. Gilpin said, the last time I saw John Henry was when some rocks from a blast had fell on him.
I always thought maybe he died from that in that tunnel. Now, Guy Johnson was a highly respected scholar who had co-authored several works on African-American song, but a bit of controversy surrounds his work with John Henry, as Mr. Chappelle was quick to point out. According to Mr. Chappelle, Mr. Johnson at first thought that the character of John Henry was completely made up and that he may have hailed from Georgia or the Carolinas. After Mr. Chappelle's work began to circulate in unpublished form prior to 1929, Mr. Johnson took up Mr. Chappelle's position for his study without crediting Mr. Chappelle, actually. So basically, he was using his work to do lectures with and not asking him about it. That's pretty mean, isn't it? Many rare book collectors today feel Mr. Chappelle produced a superior work, which is easily brings $250 a copy on a rare book market. Mr. Chappelle's work was much more thorough than Mr. Johnson's, drawing on the many contemporary newspapers, scientific journals, treatises, and tunneling, and the report from the construction of the other tunnels, as well as on the oral and written reports from his many informants. Mr. Chappelle wrote, with more conviction than Mr. Johnson about the certainty that John Henry was a real person and not just a legend. We who live in the Appalachian Mountains have heard the story and the song our entire lives. Each of us knows somebody who claims to know somebody else who saw the race between John Henry and the steam drill. Whether it comes from our great-grandparents or just an elderly person we knew growing up. From what I've gathered doing this research, it actually happened. As long as the story remains told and the song is sung, the legend of John Henry will ring through these Appalachian mountains. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. Let me take a few minutes to say thank you for your kind reviews and ratings. The first one was quite funny because it pretty much nailed me. It says that I sound like Wilford Brimley with pneumonia doing history on Appalachia. And... Who couldn't like that followed up with a five-star rating? Maybe I should start doing diabetes commercials, huh? The second said, Wonderful storytelling that inspires us to connect to our community. Thanks. That was also followed with a five-star rating. The third said, I'm loving this podcast. Lots of history and details given that I found interesting on top of the actual storyline." Too many podcasts leave out details that build a scene in your head, but this guy is descriptive enough that I can close my eyes and see it, or at least my version of it. I love that the host is actually from there. It feels a lot more authentic rather than someone regurgitating a story that they ran across online. I also appreciate that he tells stories of both good and the bad. Can't wait to hear more episodes. That one was also followed up with a five-star rating. Being that I'm technologically challenged, I'm currently trying to figure out how to tell who sends what, or uh, I would include your name with a little shout out there. And as soon as I figure it out, I sure will. Thank you so much. It just warms my Appalachian heart that you say something like that. For those who have yet to do so, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and give it a look over. You can also support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or you can go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. 
I'll be back soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend. I'll see you then.